0: even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions
1: 18 plus. Officially weighing in at 159 and one half pounds.
2: Officially 174, one half pound. But now,
0: something that Sergei Kovalev still has. Kovalev has a stiff jab still, and he throws punches with a lot of pop. They have weight classes for a reason, and we have seen fighters jump up a little too far and pay the price on it. You know the punches are gonna be bigger, they're heavier. I mean, it's just dangerous.
2: Going on again, fight fans. This is another episode of BTR Boxing Podcast, and this is the big fight preview for Canelo Alvarez versus Sergei Kovalev this weekend. I'm joined by Johnston Brown, as always, and we're going to get into this episode in a few moments. But before we do, as always, please go and follow us on social media at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter and BTR Boxing Podcast on Facebook. You can Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Stitcher, Spreaker, Player FM. Whatever the weapon of your choice is, you can go and subscribe and listen to all the latest episodes on there. So, we're going to get into this one, and we're really looking forward to this fight this weekend between Canelo Alvarez and Sergei Kovalev. Canelo looking to move up two weights to become a four weight world champion. Four weight world champion is something that's been debated a lot by a lot of people on social media. I've seen a few posts going out this week discussing whether the Fact they can consider a super middleweight version of a title an actual legitimate title, and I'm sure that'll be a, an interesting talking point when we get into the meat of the episode. But overall, I think the biggest news for us is that the fact that we're actually going to get it on a UK broadcaster and it's going to be on Sky Sports,
1: yeah, which is that's really good news. Um, I've, I've been sort of really looking forward to this fight myself. I mean. We've been quite lucky in the last three or four weeks. We've had some some really good nights. And I'm expecting this one to be the same. And I'm really pleased that finally one of the UK broadcasters have picked it up. With it being on the Zan, I'm not surprised if Sky Sports have jumped on it. And I'm really pleased about that because, you know, I've got Sky. So I'm quite happy to be able to watch this in the early hours of the morning uh, on Sunday.
2: Well, it's not just the only big fight this weekend. Manchester's Anthony Crawler also has his farewell fight at the Manchester Arena on the undercard of Katie Taylor's attempt to become a two-weight world champion this weekend. And another interesting talking point about the fact that Crawler apparently isn't going to be the headline act. So, something else to sort of dig our teeth into a little bit later on in the episode. But we're going to start with the big one, Canelo versus Kovalev. Can Canelo jump up them two weights? Can he become a four-weight world champion? And go down and cement his legacy in boxing history. Well, I think the first talking point about this fight, before we sort of talk about how the fight's going to go, is this four weight world champion prospect. People are asking the question whether you, you class the the title that he beat Rocky Fielding for in last December was that legitimate? Do you see that as legitimate?
1: Oh, it's it's a, it's a really tricky one um, because it was a, it was a regular title, wasn't it? Um, yes. Uh, and you have these, they, they seem to, it's, it's just tricky to work out whether, wh- which one's legitimate. Yeah, it, it's, You can't really have two champions in the same way, from the same, well, you can have two champions in the same way, but not the same organisation, it seems a bit daft, doesn't it? Um, I mean, it's tricky. I mean, when Rocky Fielding picked it up um, from the German, um, I, uh, I would have said he was a world champion, albeit not the super champion which tends to be the main one so i don't know i i can i can see why people would say for i suppose you know if you're looking at it properly and you're going to be uh you know a a bit more like hard hard line on it in terms of that you know you can't really have a super and a regular it all seems a bit daft you pick who you think the, the main one normally the super champion is the guy that is the proper champion, so I would say free weight for me. I probably would say free. I'm not sure about you, Sean, but I would say this is an opportunity for him to be a free weight, free weight world champion, or not a four weight
2: it's hard isn't it because obviously on one hand you see it as you know this governing body the WBA recognised him as their champion even though you know you had the guy who had originally held the title it had been elevated to sort of super champion then you get these two contesting for it and Canelo came out on top beating Rocky Fielding for that version of it do you consider it to be a title it's such a difficult one because a lot of the general consensus is that no a lot of people are seemingly saying this is not a fourth title in a different way this is actually only his third technically his third title because he's actually going up to fight for a fully recognized light heavyweight title in the wbo's version that kovalev holds at the moment and it's not a super version of a title or it's not a franchise version as what the wbc did at the moment it's actually just the wbo World light heavyweight title so it's a very difficult one because on one hand you think well you know Rocky Fielding, beat Tyrone Zoyga, who had held the title for quite a while. Then Canelo came along and beat Rocky Fielding. Canelo obviously then moved back down a weight and then went in against Danny Jacobs earlier on this year and defended his three titles that he had at the time. So for 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 me, I'm, I'm kind of sitting on the fence a little bit, really, to be honest. Because whilst I want to sort of say he's going up to be a four weight world champion, that part of me feels like. Well, I hate the fact that boxing has all these regular and super titles and franchise titles between the different governing bodies, and I've always kind of despised that fact. So, whilst I know on so on paper it's kind of classed as a fourth title, really, for, I think for the real boxing fans, this is only his third weight and not his fourth weight. That's how I see yes. it, anyway. Yeah,
1: yeah, I think I think that was just a, a you know. Anyway. It was, it was a, a sort of a, a version of uh, the WBA. Um, I, I'm with you. I, I don't see the point. In it. I, I mean, there, there is the other guy in the heavyweight division who currently holds. Uh, does he hold a regular title? I can't think who he's, but his name is now the um, the, the the fella that um, Joe Joyce was chasing down. He holds a regular title, and we wouldn't consider him to be a heavyweight world champion, would we? So I suppose in that respect, then I think he, he's a freeweight world champion. So I, I, I'm gonna I'm not going to say. You know, at the end of the day, you fought at super middleweight, and he fought a bigger guy in Rocky Fielding. Albeit it was going to be an easy night's work for him, and it was. Um, so this one's slightly different because you know the the fact is is it's the old expression, is it a, a great little man does he beat a good big man? Um, this is this is what we're supposed we're going to break down and, and try and figure out who we think's going to win this fight. So this is legitimate. Um, the Fielding one, I would say, not so much.
2: So, obviously, we've got him jumping up two weights from his natural weight, which is middleweight, up to the light heavyweight division to face seemingly such a bigger, taller man with a lot more reach advantage than Canelo. So, it is a bit of a monumentous task on paper. However, I think people are also looking at Kovalev's career in the last two years and seeing that this is a guy that looks like he is on the decline now, obviously losing to both Andre Ward and Elida Alvarez, but then re- returning and getting his title back against Alvarez and then coming through Anthony Yard in August it seems like this quick turnaround for this fight in November is because it's probably going to be his last fight so that to me would indicate that maybe this is the right time for, for Canelo to be making this jump and as obviously as we get into it in a moment about how the fight's going to sort of play out or how we think it's going to play out, it could be a massive factor on the night, although Kovalev has obviously got all them physical advantages he does look like he's on the slide I'm not going to lie and, and, and I'm usually a bit reluctant to, to make them sort of criticisms of fighters but I think from what I've seen of him in the past two years he really does look like he's he's declining from what he once was. From the guy that came over to Wales and beat Nathan Cleverly and dismantled Nathan Cleverly in 2013 to the guy we've seen in the past two years, that ain't the same guy. Now obviously we we know he's had some problems outside of the ring and that has probably affected his performances inside of the ring at times. He, he did look good with that jab against Anthony Yard. He did look a little bit like his old self against Anthony Yard. But again, does that boil down to the fact Anthony Yard was so inexperienced at that, that level that it was an easier night's nice work for him because of that? Or now we've got a guy who who is a fearsome body puncher. For me, this is this is a guy in, in Canelo who's, other than his loss to Mayweather very early on in his career, this is he's bossed everybody, he's beaten everybody, regardless of whether you know you think Golovkin won the first fight or he won the second fight. On paper, he's got them wins under his belt, he's been some he's beat some absolute great fighters over the years. And I, I, you know, I think this this could be another monumentous night. What do you think about Kovalev then, first of all, and, and the way his last two years have gone, and what sort of chances it gives him on fight night? Um, right, well, I
1: suppose. With Kovalev, I mean, you look at um, the, the light heavyweight division, um, and I would say that, you know, out of Bivol, out of uh, Goodvick, and out of um, um, Betabiev, Be I would say that Kovalev is the easiest target for Kaleno if he was looking to to make that jump up to this light heavyweight division. Um, it's funny that you mentioned the Nathan Cleverly fight with Kovalev, for instance, because I mean that was in 2013 in August, and a month later. Canelo takes to the ring against Floyd Mayweather Jr. Uh, weighing at 153. So it's interesting within sort of you know since 2013 that now we're talking about Canelo fighting Kovalev, which in 2013 we would have we would have been like, hey, no way, is that ever going to happen. So you've got to give credit to the guy. Um, although, like like you've mentioned, a lot of people have said, and I think it's noticeable that Kovalev isn't as good as he was. Under Buddy Maguire, he has, he's made uh, a lot of difference to Kovalev. And as you say, that jab, he, he, you know, he throws it ferociously. He's got a really strong jab, and it's solid. He's not people out of it, um, and he's he's not that typical Eastern European sort of robotic style. He, you know, he he moves about quickly, throws a lot of punches, a lot, of, and, and he uses his jab and that right hand well. And the way he disguises his right hand is, you know, he's got all the attributes really. To to beat Canelo. Um, And then obviously, you look at the situation with Canelo and with him being short and he's going to work the body. Obviously, that's another fight you look at in terms of um, Kovlev, in in terms of the Andre Ward fight where he did stop him with the body shots. And I I don't know if he's he's weak to the body though, Kovlev. I think Ward did exploit it that night, um, but we've not really seen it too much since. I don't necessarily think it's going to be his weakest part. In terms of uh, you know how this fight could go out, although with Canelo being short and him being such a good body punch, it's it's, it's a clear target for him, isn't it? And uh, it's just going to be a matter of if we can get close enough to do that. Um, yeah, uh, Kovalev for me is you know the, the anti-yard fight. We broke it down and we went through Kovalev's career and and um, we we felt that Kovalev in a way you know he would he would just let his talent eventually come through and his an experience his experience compared to Yards inexperience and I think that's what happened. Whether Yard, you know, is Yard a bigger punching than Canelo? Um, that's another question, isn't it? I, it's tricky, it really is. Uh, I think Kovalev is on the, on the slide. It's just a matter of whether Canelo has, has taken his fight just at the right time or if maybe he's, he's overlooking the fact that Kovalev's still got something left in the locker. I really don't know.
2: I think with Canelo, the, what I've noticed about him recently, especially in his last fight with Danny Jacobs, is his movement has, has become a lot more prominent in, in the work that he does now. So it, it feels like the loss to Mayweather, as we know, was probably the best thing that happened to him at that time. Mayweather got him at the right time when he was young before he'd fully progressed into the fighter we know today. And I think what Canelo's done over the years is He's learned from that fight and he's implemented some of them tactics that, that Mayweather used. And I like the way in the Danny Jacobs fight, he sort of moved his waist, rolled under and threw them body shots. And in the way he's sort of moving around now is is a lot different than what it was, say, two years ago, three years ago. And that, for me, is going to be a massive factor on the night. Because if he can get under underneath the jab of Sergei Kovalev and he can land them body shots and then get out again, using that footwork and that movement... I think it's going to be a bit of a difficult night for Sergei Kovalev. And one thing that the fights have shown us recently is that he is susceptible to taking them body shots. He is susceptible to being hurt by body shots. And I think this this is sort of where it leads into how things are going to play out. I think when we start talking about how we envisage the fight now, I I suppose it's a matter of who can implement their game plan the best on the night. And, And I think we know... K- Kovalev's game plan is probably going to be to stick that jab out, use that natural reach advantage and put it on Canelo's chest. Even if he's not landing shots, you know, directly into, into onto the chin or in the face. Even if he's just pumping him to the chest and he's pushing him back constantly. He's not giving Canelo the opportunity to get underneath and work the body. And if you're Kovalev and if you're Buddy McGur, that's what Buddy McGirt probably going to want to tell him to do. Use that reach advantage, use it. But can he sustain that level for 12 rounds? I don't think he can. And I think it was evident against Anthony Yard that his conditioning is is taking a little bit of a knock as well as the years have gone by. Because I think... You know, Anthony Yard was inexperienced enough to capitalize on the opportunity he had in that seventh or eighth round to to finish the job and obviously give Kovalev the opportunity to get a bit of wind back into his sails and come back and eventually stop Anthony Yard because he'd emptied the gas tank. Whereas I think someone like Canello, who's, who's proven with an engine for twelve rounds, who's younger, who's probably that slight bit hungrier, I think he's the guy that's that's eventually going to go in there and 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 have the better conditioning and you know going into sort of predictions. I know it's a bit early, but hey, well, let's go for it. I think, you know, thinking about how things are going down and how I see it, I do I do envisage a Canelo victory here regardless of, of the fact that there's some natural advantages that Kovalev has. I do see him using that extra sort of conditioning that, that youth, the ability to get under a bigger men uh, and be able to get to that body like he has been doing. And I do see a, a stoppage between round seven and ten. And that is how I see this fight going down. I see Kovalev trying to dictate the pace early trying to establish that jab I see Canelo taking a few rounds to sort of work his way through and under and, and get them shots off and I think as we get to the mid rounds that's where I think we'll see the sort of pivotal changes in the fight and going into the later half of the fight that's where I see Canelo essentially taking over uh, and stopping Kovalev and he actually is uh, the odds on favourite but with the bookies to actually stop Kovalev on the night
1: Well um, I've it, again I mean I, I'm with you in terms of with, with Kovlev Kovlev does need to fight around he does need to use his jab and exactly what you said there, he shouldn't just be targeting the head he should be targeting his arms and shoulders and whatever whatever he can hit of KLO's basically and, and, and just really use that jab effectively um, he's not going to win this fight with the jab alone uh, he's going to need to set traps and feints and he's going to look to land that right hand that right cross which he likes to throw um and just basically mix it up because he does he does do well in terms of where he will he, he shifts he, he will sort of use his left hand and he'll be jabbing away and disguised for that right to come in and then he shift his body in a way that he can he can almost throw the right cross and then come in with a jab after so you know he, he's, he's ring savvy cobbler he knows the game he knows how to fight um it is as you say it's a matter of the gas tank situation um so he's going to need to probably do it in bursts. Um, Canelo, on the other hand, he's going to need to get under that jab. He's going to need to slip that jab. He's going to need to work the body, slip the jab and throw in that left or slip it the other way and throw the right and, and target the body. But one thing we know about Kovalev is he's a fantastic counter-puncher. So he's going to have to Try and punch with Kovalev, so when Kovalev does throw that jab, he's going to have to do the same um, and, and and trade with him. And if he can get in close, he can throw in combinations. He's got a great uppercut, you know. Even the right when you're targeting the body, you know, if he can slip the jab and target the body, he can throw that overhand right as well, which is going to be uh, sort of a, a disguised right. If you like, if, you, if anyone sort of watched the Dave Allen fight when he fought Nick Webb and he threw that looping right hand and, and flattened him, didn't he? Like, that's the sort of right I'm talking about. And so, it, so it, it's tricky because Canelo, again, one thing I do notice with Canelo is he does fight and burst himself, We he'll back off to the ropes. And when he does do that, that's when uh, Kovalev is going to have to unload him. He's going to have to throw some shots. I mean, the only person I've seen in Canelo's whole career that backed him up, really, was Golovkin in the first fight when he was throwing that jab. And whether Kovalev's jab has that power to do that and send him off the balance and Having having to make Canelo sort of rethink and readjust, then they are the times when Kovalev will need to have a little breather as well. So I honestly think I can't see it being a stoppage. I think I don't think Canelo is going to have the power to stop Kovalev. Um, I know the body shots is obviously the, the one thing that Kovalev is going to be looking at to make sure he protects, leaves his head exposed at times. But I think he's going to be, he's going to put on a good show, Kovalev, and I think he's going to prove to the world why. He was one of the best fighters, um, irrelevant of what happened in that in that terrible fight he had against um, Andre Ward in that second fight. Um, and I think it's going to go to points. And I do think that with it being in Vegas, with Canelo being the main man in a way, I think he steps into this ring probably a round or two up with some of the judges. I hate to say it that way and say, make it sort of to be a problem but I think it is and I do think that any close rounds will go Canelo's way so I'm going to go Canelo and I'm going to go on points and probably unanimously as well unless Kovlev stops him which I can't see happening
2: Really looking forward to it. I am. I think it's a great fight. I'm really looking forward to seeing whether Canelo can jump up and create his own legacy, really, by, by getting that title in a different way. I mean, we've seen boxers do it over the years. I think the most notable one is our good old favourite, Mr Manny Pacquiao. Eight weight divisions, eight world titles. I don't think anyone's ever going to get near that ever again, to be honest with you. However, you've got guys like Sugar Ray Leonard. You've got guys like Pernell Whitaker. You know, Floyd Mayweather's done it. Some of the best have done it, basically, over the years in the lighter divisions, um, and I expect this to be no different, personally. So we'll see what happens come Saturday night. The rest of that particular build's got a couple of interesting fights on there. Uh, Ryan Garcia, eighteen and zero. He's a guy that I've been I've been seeing for a, quite a while now. Uh, I think we've seen a lot of uh, spite, I think, between. I think, is it is it him and Devin Haney, isn't it, that have got a bit of uh, bit of beef going That's on over right. there in America? Keep seeing a lot of stuff between them wanting to fight each other later on down the line. So, Ryan Garcia fights against Romero Duno, and he's fighting for marginal titles. Again, WBC Silver lightweight title, and then WBO, NABO, lightweight title as well on the line in this particular one. But I think the most interesting fight on this particular card, for me personally is the debut of Evan Holyfield, the son of the great four-time world heavyweight champion Evander Holyfield, makes his debut in the super welterweight division on Saturday night. And I think that's one for, to definitely look out for. And I've actually wrote a little piece about it, which is going to be coming out uh, once this podcast is released. So if you're listening to it now, it's probably already out uh, on esbrboxing.com. Go and check it out. It's my little piece on Evan Holyfield making his debut. But that is an interesting sort of part to the card and, and one that I think a lot of people are going to be looking forward to because instantly you're going to make comparisons to his dad straight away
1: you are and an Evander on field obviously we we love Evander I mean I did I used to enjoy watching him in the heavyweights so, and uh, yeah let's hope he's sunk and and, uh, can do something special. Who knows, eh? It's interesting. You know, when you do see these guys, it would be like Connor Ben, even Chris Ben Jr. when he first started, and you have got Evan Holyfield, even uh, Steve Collins had his son. I don't know if he's still fine, I'm sure he is. Um, so you do automatically get drawn to these names, and you want to generally see how they get on. So hopefully, Evan Holyfield will, you know, I'm sure he'll get a win against the guys who are 0 1 0. So, uh I'm expecting um, Holyfield to, to get a winner and get and take the winning style, hopefully. Um, it'd be interesting, wouldn't it, to see how this kid goes.
2: Yeah, definitely. I'm looking forward to it. So, I wanted to obviously bring the attention to another bill happening here in the UK, in Manchester, in my hometown. And it's going to be the final farewell to a good old friend of mine, Anthony Crawler, as he makes his final night in the Manchester Arena. He's fighting 13-1-1 and Spaniard, Frank Uh, Quigia, I think that's how you pronounce it, it's probably wrong, but he's going in there for one final fight and, you know, just to sort of give a couple of minutes to Anthony Crawler, you know, I think, given the fact that this guy was never supposed to go anywhere past the English title level, to have been able to win a world title after what happened to him when he tried to stop his neighbour's house from being robbed and nearly ended up losing his life as a result of it was told he would never box again, was able to come back and win a world title, was able to share the ring with Jorge Linares and Vasily Lomachenko. For, for, for me, you know, that that's... He's just a, it's, a, it's a magical story and I think it'll be a magical night in the Manchester Arena an emotional night in the Manchester Arena on Saturday because he's one of the, the heroes and the nicest guys in British boxing and people always say that about Anthony but it's true when you do ever get the opportunity to, to meet him in person he'll do anything for you is he's, he's the type of guy that I would give his last five pounds in his pocket to try and help you out and that is the type of man he is outside of the ring it isn't a facade for the cameras, he is just genuinely a nice lad, so I, I am really looking forward to seeing him go out on a high and I don't expect his opponent to give him any trouble, they wouldn't have done it if they wouldn't have expected, they're giving him an easy fight, of course they are, they're not going to see him out on a loss, but the only strange part about his fight is, is why they've made it for a WBA continental lightweight title, I do not know why that is happening, but it is. it is it's like they want to give him some sort of nominal title you know on his farewell but I'm really happy to see him in the ring one last time on Saturday
1: yeah same man it's a sad ending uh, it's, it's always sad to see um, sort of guys come to the end of their career and Ant is no different you know he's, he had that last roll, roll of the dice if you like when he fought uh, it didn't work out for him uh, doesn't work out for many fighters when they fight Lomachenko let's be real here but um, you know Anthony Koyla, he's, he's you know it that that for me the Burns fight when he beat Ricky Burns and then obviously that gave him the stepping stone to take that Lemachenko fight and he was you know he's a nice guy and he was he was up for it he believed he could do the business it didn't work out for him and it's nice for him to have this farewell fight in Manchester in front of his fans. Um, so the one thing I will knock about the whole situation is the fact that he isn't the main headline. It doesn't it seems a bit daft with it being his farewell fight for me in front of his home crowd. If you want to keep. You know, keep keep the crowd um, wanting to carry on watching the night. I think Corolla should have finished it. Um, I'm not quite sure how it works out there, Sean, In terms of Manchester, you know better than me. But looking at it in the perspective of if, if he was a Londoner, and you know, we was, I was watching someone go out and bow out on his last night. soon as that fight's finished unless it's a really big card most of the the rest of us i'm sure will be hitting the bars straight from that fight so (laughs) i'm not i'm not quite sure how many are going to be left stuck around sort of watching katie taylor albeit you know katie taylor is a second uh, is it a second weight she's going for a second weight title and I don't know. I, and it's nice to see a, a lady get um, the, the headline. Um, and Katie deserves it, no doubt. But I just think it's probably the wrong night for me. I think Corolla deserves the headline night. Um, I don't know what you feel of it, Sean. But um, you know, it's sad to see Corolla go, though. You know, he's, he's brought a lot of joy to boxing. And, um, and as you say, a genuine nice guy.
2: Yeah, well, you know what I'm going to say about this. I think it's a very <laughs> silly idea to, to to put him on as chief support rather than the main event. I can understand why Katie Taylor's the main event, because she's going for a second, well, another world title at like a second weight, given that she's pretty much, near enough, cleaned up the lightweight division. And she's going up to super lightweight and, and going for that second title and another weight. So... I can understand why, from that perspective, they want to put that as the headline here, event, but why do it on the night where you're giving Anthony Crawler one last fight to say goodbye? Why do that? Because Anthony Crawler alone has probably sold the majority of the Manchester Arena out. I honestly don't believe that if that would have been no Anthony Crawler on there and it would have just been Katie Taylor and the rest of the fights on that card, it wouldn't have sold half the tickets it has. It's sold... The amount of tickets it has is because Anthony Crawler's on that card. He's from Manchester. Because of what he's done, because of what happened to him outside of the ring and the way he come back, that is why people are going to be there to support him mainly. Obviously, the, the shameful part about it is, like you say, once the Crawler fight's finished, most people are going to be already absolutely pissed out of their heads by then. So they're going to end up... <laughs> But going off to, to the nearest bars and clubs in Manchester to celebrate. So for me, it's a stupid idea because you know for a fact that a lot of fans are going to leave the Manchester Arena after that fight. And then you've got Katie Taylor who, again, let's be honest, she's making history herself here by doing what she's doing on the night. If she goes in there and wins that WBO title in the super lightweight division, again, she's creating more history and more legacy in the women's side of the sport. And it would be such a shame to see that Manchester Arena only half full as a result of, Mm -hmm. obviously, what they're doing on the night. So it does seem a bit silly. I'm going to be interested to sort of see Eddie Hearn interviews, actually. I'll be looking to to sort of pick a few up in the next sort of 12 hours to see if anyone has actually asked this question to Eddie Hearn about why he's doing what he's doing and and why he's putting Taylor on at the top and why he's not putting Crawler on at the top. I will be genuinely interested to see what his response is and whether it's a justifiable response because, for me... It's hard. It's hard to say. I can understand from why he's doing the Katie Taylor thing, but it just doesn't make sense. And I think it's only fair that we give, obviously, a little bit of time to Katie Taylor now because obviously she's, like I said, she's going up. She's moving up away. She's going to fight the WBO super lightweight title against twelve and one Christina Linarda to, to get her second, well, a, a, another belt at a second weight. And for me, this is this is a monumentous night for her as well because her winning this title just means that women's boxing is just going that further forward, especially here in the UK. You've got, obviously, Caressa Shields over in the USA, who's got a cleaning up over there over here you've got Katie Taylor the Irish sensation who's cleaning up and and giving sort of all the UK and Irish fight fans something to, to to really shout about and she's paving the way for the women of the future as well because on the undercard you've also got the IBO super featherweight champion Terry Harper who's 8-0 fighting Vivian Obanoff so you've got two women fighting for titles on the same night and which I think if that was presented on a different card and a different night would be uh, again a more of a monumentous occasion and I don't think people are actually focusing on this fact people are more focusing on the fact that this is Crawler's night and Crawler's opportunity to say goodbye to, to the Manchester Fight fans and I think that's a crying shame for, for the two women that are on there and well for the four women that are, that are competing on that night and you know there's two world titles on the line here in them two Mm. fights and i think it's a bit of a crying shame that i don't think they're going to get the attention that they should be getting personally that's just that's just me speaking i think that they've made a bit of a boo-boo when it comes to these and i think they could have put them on maybe a slightly different card maybe a little bit later on you know towards the end of the year maybe they could have done something in december with them and and sort of put them as a double header but instead they've done this and Let's just see what happens on the net. Let's see if if our suspicions are confirmed. If we see Manchester Arena half empty by the time Katie Taylor gets in the ring,
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean it doesn't make sense because I think could, the, the Katie Taylor fight going to be it's going to be a good fight. It always is, and I think that would have been a nice little warm up before Corliss steps out and, and, and finishes his career. finishes his career with a last fight. I thought personally, if anything, that would that would filled the crowd up, and you know the seats would be completely full. It'd been to its, capac- to its capacity. And then uh, Corolla comes out. That, that is just the way I see it. And that was how I thought it was. It wasn't until early one in the week you mentioned it to me, Sean, that I realised Katie is headlining. So, as you say, it's a bit of a shame because it's not, you know, it's a shame for Katie as well as Anthony. Um, but, you know, he's done it, they've done it this way, I suppose, this way. It is. We'll see if our suspicions are correct. We'll, we'll find out. Um, I suppose the only other fight on here as well, which I do like, is the Felix Cash and Jack Cullen fight. Um, Alex looks like for the Commonwealth middleweight title. Uh, Jack Cullen is what he's ranked at seven with box rank, and Felix Cash is at number eight. So, not much to pick between them. Um, it's going to be an interesting fight. That one. I mean, I'm expecting Felix Cash to come through it, but you never know. Uh, Jack is a is a decent fighter, and you know he could cause it a, an upset, uh, really, because I think most people would be expecting Felix, Felix to come through it. But a good fight, and it's nice to see them all. fire on the card as well.
2: Yeah, Kamal Ufai actually fighting uh, one of one of the guys that I've covered for quite a while, Lee Clayton, ten and three. You know, I've 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 done a lot of work with Lee. You know, helping him sort of push himself out there in my early days of of doing ESBR interviews and doing a lot of write ups, and I've I've even spent. A car journey with him going to one of his fights, you know, on the day of his fight. He took me to one of his fights in Blackpool. I, you know, had a chat with him in the car on the way to the fight and basically spent the day with him on fight day. And and we were just chatting and got to sort of see what the emotions are like for a fighter on the day of a fight. And it was a a really good insight for me. and, And the fact that he's been able to get himself. Into this position, you know, to to take a fight with Kamal Yafai, who let let's be honest, they're putting it into position for Lee to be able to get a, a good payday and good exposure here. Uh, you know, I don't expect Lee to come through this with a victory. I'll be I'll be honest, and I think I know in his mind, Lee will will obviously feel like he can he can do something in here. But I think observers, people that know him, will probably be thinking he's going in there against an absolutely talented fighter, and I think. You know he he might he might struggle here, and I, I don't expect him to win. I'd love him to cause an absolute upset. Don't get me wrong, but I can't see it happening personally. No,
1: yeah, I, I agree <laughs> with you, mate. And, and you never know, you know, Gamal your fire. I think it's, it's only a six rounder as well. So you know, he's like it's a ten rounder where you know Clayton he could post for broke, really, couldn't he? And put the pressure on your fire. We've seen that he can blow out. But with it being six rounds, I think your fire will probably be comfortable. But. Yeah, and Bacoli on the card as well. Um, I'm fighting... Uh, I'm, I'm looking at this guy, Rodney Hernandez. I don't know much about the fella. I'm expecting uh, Mike Bacoli to get himself another victory on the night as well.
2: Yeah, and then you've also got a decent fight between Keish Asfak and Joe Hamm for the vacant WBA Continental Super Bantamweight title. I think that's definitely one to watch out for. So, it's, I mean, people are saying it's a really piss-poor card. <clears throat> there is some good fights on the card, but it isn't a great card. It's. I mean... People are never going to be satisfied unless they get a full card, which is going to be 50-50 fights. You're never going to be, you're never going to get a card like that. There's not many cards that you will see like that, and I think you have to really dig deep into the the archives to find a card like that. To be honest with you, I think this is all about Anthony Crawler. This is all about Katie Taylor, and the rest sort of just follow suit as well on on this particular undercard. <laughs> is there any other fights this weekend that we've we've missed off that you're looking forward to, other than the ones that we've gone through?
1: Uh well there is there is a night in America, um, with uh, Miguel Bertram fighting uh, Jason Sosa. Um a really good good card actually on uh, run by a top rank uh, Bob Arum in California. So uh yeah, M- Miguel Burchill is obviously thirty six and one. Uh he had a cracking fight I, I believe it was uh, a year or so ago when it, with with the other Miguel, uh the War of the Miguels, is an absolute belt, and I really enjoy watching Burchill. I think he's uh He's just a great fighter to watch, basically, and, and I'm, I'm expecting it to be a decent fight. I'm expecting him to win it. Jason Sosa, obviously, as well, is not a bad fighter. Uh, he's for the WBC Super Feather title. Um, and, obviously, you've got Jerry Ankeras, as well, another guy that many of us will know, especially the Irish. He beat uh, one of the Conlon brothers, I believe it was, was it Jamie Conlon? Um, and uh, Alex Sorcedo is fighting... Uh, Rob Sulker, also on the card as well, and uh, Salcedo is the guy that had, had a great fight with Hooker um, last year. So, you know, a pretty decent card to be fair. But at the top of the bill with Bert shelton and Sosa, I think that's a real cracking fight, and uh, one I'm i be looking out for this weekend.
2: So, I think there's something that we didn't cover off in the um, in the in the review of last weekend, and it was something that sort of. I think we need to discuss what well, we've got the opportunity to in this preview is I alluded a little bit to it earlier on about the titles and the way the rankings titles are uh, sort of given to fighters and, and the way the WBC in particular have now made this franchise version of a championship and are elevating the current WBC champs to the franchise version of a champion and then people that they're they're considering to be the number one contenders to them title they're automatically elevating them to the wbc sort of regular champion so to speak so it's just happened recently with devin haney last week devin haney has been stated as the wbc champion without actually winning it in the ring and obviously lamachenko has been upgraded to the franchise version of the champion and i believe Wilder is the same. I believe they put Wilder up to the franchise version of a champion and there was obviously talk of uh, potentially Dillian White, but obviously because the the issues with this, the B sample still not coming back and no news on that happening, he technically would have been upgraded and elevated to the WBC regular champion, essentially. But I think it just boils back down to the, the, the bullshit and politics of boxing. Why have they done this? Why are they instating people as as wbc champions if they've not actually fought the number one in the division for it
1: it just baffles me it really does i really get confused with it to be honest i don't understand um the logic to it um i just you know you have one belt uh for that organization uh, so it's always been a same. we've always seen it and that's the guide us to champion i mean we've just had a discussion with canelo and whether we consider him to be a free weight or a four weight world champion i suppose it's a similar thing the super and regular now they're going to make it is wbc making it a franchise rather than a super and um, so now just to confuse matters um, so we have four different organizations and now we're basically looking at two winners two champions in each organization um I believe it more or less happens across the ball, especially with the WBA and WBC. Not so much the IBF or the WBO. They tend to keep it pretty much the same, although they have their interims and in the Continentals and Silvers and all that. Um, but I just don't get it. I mean, we've got diamond belts out there. What was the WBC diamond belt that Regis held and that was that was put on the line against Taylor the other week? Um, it just, just gets confusing. So... Is the WBC Diamond Belt better than a franchise belt, or is it, or is it the regular? <laughs> I get confused. Um, I, I don't understand. It's just a way of earning more money for these organisations to call someone a champion to put a belt on the line. I'm guessing for the people watching, you know, they see it. As, this is a genuine world title fight. So, therefore, they're going to get more people paying to watch the fights, whether it be going to the event or watching it on TV. I don't know. I, I think it just gets ridiculous. I really do. Um, I just think there should just be four belts. I mean, even that sometimes is a struggle. Um, you know, we, we dig through the archives, Sean, and we go through these legendary nights and these career profiles. And there's back in the sort of, what, 70s, 80s, there was always just two two belts. And that was sort of looked upon as a joke. Um, so, with the addition of what is it, 16 different weights? God knows how many different weights there are now. Um, I don't know, it just seems a little bit daft. I, I don't quite understand it. It's just, I just think it's a money grabbing scheme and uh, it just confuses people. I just don't quite get it. I mean, it just it, it, when we look at it and we see two champions now for, for one organisation, it's a matter of what you just have a debate with someone as to who's the better fighter because really, ideally, what you want is those two fighting each other. And then when they do fight each other, does that mean they just become the the champion for that organisation or does it then create a vacancy for the regular title? I I don't understand it. I just think it's a, a, a joke, really, and it's all a bit daft.
2: It's very much daft. And I know... So many different podcasts out there that do what we do—the reviews and the previews and everything else—they all say the same things. I don't think there's any one person that does a podcast or does an article that actually supports these belts being added to the divisions. I think it's just ridiculous, and I—I I don't even know where to go with it to be honest. With you. Kind of, <laughs> if you kind of—if I think it frustrates you that much as a fan, that you just think to yourself, "What other, what other things can you say about this situation other than it's bullshit?" And it just spoils boxing for us and it doesn't always give us the fights we want to see because we end up being sold all these different belts, giving all these people the opportunity to become champions when some of them probably wouldn't be champions because they wouldn't beat the best of the division. And that is that is the way it is. But unfortunately, these guys are given the opportunity to do that. And whilst it in, in the history books they'll go down as champions people will probably look back on this in 50 years and think what the hell were they doing when they were giving seven different belts for one weight category with all the different titles associated with it it's it's becoming a bit too much and a bit too much bit too much on money orientated the, the, rather than the sport and i know a lot of people have always said it is more of a business than it is a sport and i do agree with that to a degree but at the end of the day the roots of the sport go really deep into the history of things and i think for me if 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 things are gonna ever get better with it, then they need to start uh, the governing bodies and the organisations, you know, stripping them right bloody back and saying, "Look, you only need one belt for this weight category in your organisation. We don't need all these regular supers, interims. We don't need any of these. We just need one champion and the best. We've got to fight the best. And I, again, I think I'm just sort of." Dreaming about what I would like to see in boxing not come to fruition. Probably in my lifetime, it wouldn't surprise me if I never see it in our lifetimes because of the way the sport is actually going and the business side of things. And something else actually that's just cropped into my mind. Something totally off subject. What's going on with Delahoya with all these sexual assault allegations? Oh
1: wow, I didn't. I haven't heard about that. Um, I know he's he's always had his problems, isn't he? He got caught. He's been caught drink driving, and I know like uh, a bit of a smoke he? and. He just up in women's clothes sometimes, and he's in the country. <laughs> <laughs> I keep, I keep, I keep uh, seeing
2: yeah. stuff. Yeah, I keep seeing stuff on social media about it. Like, is uh, uh, people have filed, uh, women have filed for lawsuits against him. I think, um, okay. I think it doesn't seem good from what I've seen, and I've seen a few things on social media about the, the the potential of, you know, a lot of trouble coming his way. I think there'll probably be a few people that might be able to shed a bit more. Light on the situation, but I just I seen it yesterday in the last couple of days that he's been lawsuits have been filed against him and stuff, and also there's obviously issues between him and Canelo going on as well. Um, there's about loyalty and there's issues over there, and it's hmm, yeah, it, it seems a bit like uh, maybe there's something going on in the background with Hoya there that that you know needs to be addressed, and maybe you need to take back a a backward step from the sport a little bit and focus on what's going on in his own life.
1: Yeah, because I think that makes sense. As you were saying, um, with with Canelo obviously distanced himself a little bit um, from De La Hoya in his his latest interview. So I wonder if he knows something's coming up himself and he's trying to just sort of uh, keep himself out of the limelight and away from De La Hoya because he knows something's going to come up. Maybe that's the case Um, but you know, I, I, there's, there's obviously a breakdown between Canelo and, and De La Hoya, or Canelo's camp and De La Hoya, and obviously he's having some troubles. Um, so yeah, God, I didn't know that. Uh, as I say, I don't I, I, you know what what you hear in the comfort of his own house when he sort of wanders about. Him close. <laughs> I don't, know, I really don't know how true that is. But, uh, you know, I suppose it's to their own, isn't it? Um, yeah, no, I, I, that's fascinating actually to, to, to hear that because uh, there's always something coming up with someone with it being it doesn't necessarily be in boxing it's you know outside of boxing as well you keep hearing all these sexual harassment stories it's just difficult to know which ones are true or not but oh dear never mind Um, uh, hopefully uh, as you say I think maybe he should just take himself away from the sport for a little while and uh, regalvanise himself and then come back
2: yeah I think so so I think that about wraps it up for this big fight preview episode of Canelo versus Kovalev we're really looking forward to this weekend can Canelo become a three or in some people's eyes, four-weight world champion thrown dethroning Sergey Kovalev this weekend. And we'll also get to see the final farewell for Anthony Collar in Manchester and Katie Taylor looking to become a two-weight world champion also this weekend. So get your eyes on it. We've got on Sky Sports on Saturday night and the early hours of Sunday morning for us in the UK to catch both of the big fight cards this weekend. Thanks for listening, Fight Fans. You know where to find us on Twitter at BTR Boxing Podcast and BTR Boxing Podcast and Facebook. And we'll see you next week for a reaction show. The dream is made real. Ricky rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years
1: younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over.